All right. Thank you for having me back a second week in the row as Treb is off doing Treb things. Whatever that he might be doing, I'm filling in. I'm Dave Lewis. Uh, I am not Brian Eckelman, as some people have actually thought I was when I was here. Uh, I was at a presbytery meeting about a year ago, and I had a minister from Ardmore come up to me, and he was talking to me, and he's just going on and on, talking about the budget of this, so, this project and so forth. I had no clue what he was talking about. He had recently had heart surgery, so I thought maybe he was still on some of the pain meds that were clouding his judgment. It took me about 10 minutes to figure out he thought I was Brian Eckelman uh, as he talked about it. So I'm not Brian, and then today at Starbucks on the way over here, someone said, do you know you look like Bill Pullman, the actor? So I, I don't see it but I'm not Bill Pullman either. Dave Lewis, I'm a minister in this presbytery, and uh, I'm a friend of Treb, and so he has invited me to come and speak today. Anyone remember last week, if you were here, what did we talk about? Sorry, I'm going to make you interact with me. What did we talk about? Okay, Ephesians, good. It's in the bulletin. <laughs> good. I like paying attention. That's good. Any points that uh, were made last week that stuck with you? There have been times as a minister when I have preached a sermon and then I sit down the next week to write the next week's sermon and I can't remember what I preached the week before. So I'm not going to be too hard on you. We talked about, we have been, or Paul in this prayer that he wrote to the Ephesians, which can also be found in Colossians and in 1 Peter, he talked about three things. Remember what they were? He prayed that, I, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart be opened that you may see three things. I'm really, what were they? Yes, the hope to which we are called. It's in the bulletin today. The inheritance we have in the saints. And finally, the power that we have through the Spirit. Last week we talked about that hope. And what is the hope to which we've been called? Let's see if I made, an, made my point clear. <laughs> Remember? We talked about how in the beginning God created Adam and Eve, and they fell into sin, but the most, uh, by uh, eating from the tree they were uh, told not to, but the most important thing about that story is after they had committed their crime, their sin, they hid themselves, and that was important, why? Because they had been in the habit of doing what? Let's try that. The scripture said, that God came looking for them in the cool of the day. So that means that they had been in the habit of meeting with God. And part of uh, what happens when we fall in Adam and Eve is we're separated from that kind of relationship. But the New Testament points us toward a day when all that will be undone, and a new heaven and a new earth will be created, and that's what we're created for. Do you look forward to that day? I do. I was watching a documentary this week about uh, some of this coal ash that comes out of... Uh, coal plants out in the eastern part, that's where we get a lot of our electricity, and they talk about how it's uh, polluting the communities where it, it is, and there's no way to clean it up. There's actually no way to undo uh, this. And, and then I was on Netflix yesterday, kind of searching, I like to go through the documentaries on Netflix and kind of watch stuff, and I came across this, this movie called The Unfinished Film. Have you seen this? It's about uh, people who found some, docu uh, some documentary footage from the Warsaw Ghetto during the time of Hitler and the Nazis, and they discovered that this film was film that was done by the SS in the Warsaw Ghetto, and uh, it was to document, it was propaganda, to show how evil Jews were. Because in the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, they were denied 
food, basically. A German, during the time of the early 40s, Germans were rationed about 2,400 calories a day. And that's probably what you eat. Jews, by comparison, in the, in the Warsaw Ghetto, were given 150 calories a day. That's a banana, basically. So as they were starving, the SS would come in and film these people laying dead on the street. And then they would have a certain Jewish community that they would give 2,400 calories to a day that were looking good and kept themselves looking nice, nice clothes. And they would force them to walk by the dead people um, and act like they didn't care. And the idea was they were putting a film together to show how evil Jews were that they didn't even care about their starving people. When in fact they cared very much and it was the SS that was starving them. And I got to ask myself, you know, could this ever happen again in our world? I hope not. But the fact that it happened once is just, uh, you know, where's this world going? Think of all the other places in the world we have war and conflict and evil things we hear about, people doing to people. Well, last week's talk was to give us hope that this world isn't the last, or this, that this world isn't the only life we live. That God is going to make a new heaven and new earth where these are not issues. That is the hope to which we are called. So we don't hold on too tightly to this life that we are mere uh, sojourners through. This isn't our destination. This is just something we pass, we pass by. Well, let's get into today's talk. The second thing uh, that Paul wrote is he was going that, that we have an inheritance in the saints. What is an inheritance? Someone tell me. What is, is an inheritance? Something you get when someone dies. Anyone else? I'll define it as something I'm never going to get. I don't think my parents are leaving me anything. I was kind of a problem child. I think they, uh, they wrote me out. Uh, inheritance is something that we have not earned, but from which we enjoy great benefits. You remember Leona Helmsley? She died a couple years back. She had millions and millions of dollars. Remember the story that came out about the inheritance she left to her dog? She left her Maltese puppy that she called Trouble. She left the dog $12 million. And she wrote out two of her grandchildren and said, you know why, <laughs> in, the, in the, the records of the inheritance. She left $12 million. I mean, what does a dog do with $12 million? I know what I would do with $12 million. So what is an inheritance, and can we have an inheritance we have two ways that we have an inheritance one through the resurrection of Christ and second through his people that's what we're going to talk about today before I read the scripture again I would like to go to the Lord in prayer let us pray Lord we thank you for all that you've done for us for bringing us here for this church that's trying to do things differently. And we thank you for Treb and his ministry and pray that you bless him. Wherever he may be today, that he may have a day off where he can uh, just focus on his family and have a good time. And Lord, I pray for everyone here as they leave this place that you protect them in this heat. And uh, that they will go and find rest for their souls this day and hopefully tomorrow on a day off. For those who get that privilege and for those who work, Lord, pray that you uh, strengthen them and be with them. Lord, I bring my words here today in the sermon, and I pray that through the power of your spirit, you will turn this into the true proclamation of the gospel, as only your spirit can do. Lord, open our hearts to hear your word, and open our hearts, our hearts and minds to be faithful disciples. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay. 
Let's read the scripture again. We read it last week, but it will not hurt us to read it again. It's in the bulletin, or you can turn to page 811 of the Bible that you have available on the seats. If you brought your own Bible, it's probably not page 811, but something similar. This is what Paul writes to his friends in Ephesus. Keep in mind, he writes the same thing in the first chapter of Colossians, and then 1 Peter picks it up in the first chapter as well. So this must have been something very important to the early church, this prayer. This is what Paul writes. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name uh, that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Inheritance. The first form of inheritance we have is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a good thing, right? The book of Colossians, Paul says this, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of what? All creation. And that his resurrection is a promise to us that we too will be resurrected. The resurrection is not a one-time event. What does the creed tell us? I believe, I believe in the, the, Holy, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. We are promised resurrection as well. And the first resurrection in Christ is a guarantee that we will also experience it as well. Now, at seminary, I had a few professors that did not believe this. Uh, one of my professors in particular, great preacher, but uh, through discussion, I found out he didn't believe the resurrection was real. Thought it was metaphorical and all this kind of stuff. Did Jesus really, I mean, people don't get resurrected. And I looked at him and said, what do you preach on Easter? I said, oh, I preach the resurrection on Easter. And I said, why do you preach the resurrection on Easter? And he said, that's how I get paid. And at that point, I realized why some of my other friends called seminary, cemetery, because that's where your faith goes to die sometimes. And I made a commitment at that point in time that if I ever lost faith in this promise that we are given, I would resign from the church, give up ordination, and stop hassling the church anymore. Because it is the central promise of scripture that we are guaranteed. So that that allows us to let go of this life a little bit. That allows us to let go of our dreams, so to speak, sometimes when we need to. We don't need to have all the stuff we want. We, don't, we sh shouldn't get too worried when we don't get the jobs and the, the promotions and so forth. Or when we lose a job. Why? Because this life is temporary. And we've been promised a resurrection. It's part of our inheritance. Uh, you'll see this. If you go into the book of Isaiah, because I know you have recently. It's a great book. It's actually kind of hard to get through. It's a little thick. 
But in Isaiah chapter 65, at the end, Isaiah starts talking about how God is going to rebuild Jerusalem and make it this great city once again. And I think he was on the right path there, and he, he definitely got the message right, but he was focused on Jerusalem. And I think God had a bigger plan. Because if you go into Revelation chapter 21, John, who wrote uh, Revelation, actually goes and takes out that section of Isaiah and rewrites a little of it. And he says, God is actually making a new heaven and a new earth. A day where there will be no more crying, no more pain. And God will say, I live among you as my people. That's the promise we have. That's the inheritance we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the first way that we understand the inheritance that we have is through the resurrection of Jesus. That's long term, that's at the end of life, and then whenever God has appointed that time for each one of us and for all of us as a community. Uh, but there's one thing that's a little bit more immediate about the inheritance of Jesus, or the inheritance we have uh, through the saints. Uh, any of you in here, Catholic or formerly Catholic maybe, or kind of understand a little bit about Catholic theology? There's, okay, great. There's this idea of, and they get it right, the Catholic Church is totally right here. They have this idea of the treasury of the saints. Do you know what this is? You've heard of this, the treasury of the saints. It goes a little bit like this. Jesus Christ, the apostles, and the early church thereafter did so many good things that there's this treasury, a bank account, where all their good deeds that outweighed their bad deeds were placed. And that treasury is available to anyone to cover their sins that they commit. And they call that process granting a an indulgence. You've heard this word before, an indulgence. So if you sin, uh, you think bad thoughts about somebody, you go to the priest, and you uh, get an indulgence, what they're doing is they're granting you forgiveness through the treasury, the good works of the saints that have gone before you. And in the Reformation, the church had this great idea. They're trying to build this huge complex in Rome, and they thought that they would say, okay, well, why don't we Charge a little money for this. And that's where you get the idea of the Reformation and the folks upset about charging money for indulgences. The Catholic Church got it right and that there is a treasury. But the application of that treasury is where they got it wrong. They said it covered sin. And I would like to say that that treasury is actually a blessing to us. Not to cover up sin, but to lead us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. Uh, most of you, or a lot of you, I don't know all of you, but most of you are probably associated with Westminster, the church up the road, or have been associated with Presbyterian Church. Uh, who, who in here was at Westminster when they founded the church? No one? Who has been a part of that church before? Through Sunday school and youth group and all this kind of stuff, okay? How did you get that church if you didn't build it? Someone had to do the work, right? Someone had to pray through launching that church way back, what was it, in the 50s? I can't remember exactly, around the 50s. I, and I believe it was the people from, some folks from First Oklahoma City that did this. A lot went into this church that then launched this church that you had nothing to do with. But you are the benefit of all that hard work. Or how about this? Did you one day have a light open up and shine on you, and all of a sudden you understood who Jesus was, and you fell off your horse, you know, and, and you, you accepted Jesus and everything was great? Or did you go to Sunday school 
or youth group or some kind of retreat or had some kind of person that taught you the faith along the way? Which way did it happen for you? None of you know Jesus. Oh, great. Now i got to change the Let's start from the beginning here. Yeah, chan- chances are, chances are you had someone invest in your life through Young Life, through youth group, through FCA, through Campus Crusade, through a church like this, somewhere along the way, your mom, your grandmother, your grandfather, someone invested in you, taught you the faith, and that has brought you to where you are right now. Am I correct? That's the inheritance you have in the saints. That God has not left you alone. He's not left us alone. He sends people into our lives to disciple us, to encourage us, and to challenge us. Two examples of this. When I was a youth pastor in Richmond, Virginia, it's a great church. When I showed up, about a 1,500-member church. It's, it's the twin of Westminster Presbyterian, but it's in Richmond. When I showed up, uh, there was no youth group, but they hired me to be the youth pastor. I walked in and didn't have anything. I walked into my office one day, and it was full of boxes of Christmas decorations and all this kind of stuff. I had to spend my first week at my first job cleaning out my office from all the garbage from church. Don't do that to your people. Please, ever do that. Uh, but I spent the whole week cleaning up, got going on this whole ministry uh, uh, thing. And when we first moved into town, the first day we moved in, a woman named Julie Layfield pulled up in her SUV and, and gave us a fruit basket and all this stuff that's unique to Richmond and welcomed us in. Uh, Any time that I needed something, Julie Layfield was there to help me. She supported me through all my harebrained ideas. I had this idea one day that as we started building up a youth ministry that we needed to go on a mission trip. And so I came up with the idea that we're going to go to Mexico, to a border town to help build. So we're going from Richmond to Mexico. I had no idea how we were going to get there. And I, I saw Julie at a soccer game, watching her kids play soccer. And I sat down and said, Julie, I got an idea. You're going to love this. What if we... Because it's so expensive, it's about a thousand bucks a person to go on this. I said, why don't we let people decide what they what they can pay? Because I know there are a lot of people in this church that can pay a thousand dollars is what they use to sneeze in. I mean, it's nothing to them. But we had enough kids that were getting involved that couldn't afford that much. So I said, why don't we just tell people what it costs and then let them decide how much they're gonna pay, and then I'll go raise the difference. And she said, Yeah, okay. Now if Julie would have said no, it never would have happened. But because she supported it, all the other parents and everyone else supported it. And we were able to raise that money with no problem. She was that kind of person. When I showed up, I, I, I actually did have two kids in youth group. Guess who they were? <laughs> they were Julie's two daughters. Show up to first, the first youth group meeting that, that I had, and they were sitting there looking at me like, my mother made me come here, and I'm never coming back. But Julie made sure her girls were there, and by the time I left, we had, we had built a good program, and they were, those two girls were core in helping build that, that youth group. But Julie Layfield was there, always supporting, always praying. The kind of saint uh, that you wish to have in the church, the, the kind we should all be. Uh, she died a couple years ago, had ovarian cancer that entire time. And even at the toughest moments when she was in the hospital, she would still give me a call, and she would support, she was praying for me while she was dying cancer she's calling and praying for me as i'm doing youth ministry that's the inheritance you have in the saints people like that that encourage you support you keep you going in the tough times that's also the kind of people we're called to be 
But there's a second element. There's another person that you have as an inheritance in the saints. And this person is the person that's, that's called to challenge you. Uh, one of my professors at seminary, I, I was in his Greek class. I had taken Greek all through undergraduate, so when I got up to seminary level, I was kind of just blowing it off. Wasn't trying very hard, and one day, Kalantis, one day, <laughs> my wife knows who this is. Uh, one day he came up to me just in the hallway and said, David, you're lazy. I'm very disappointed in your work. He turned around and walked off. And, you know, I'm doing this. And I picked it up. You know, he challenged me. And I rose to the level. You have anyone in your life like that that will just say it straight to you and won't, won't butter it up and, and make it sugary? That's a blessing. I also had another person in my life like that. Uh, his name was John Savage. Do any of you know John Savage? He's an Oklahoma City businessman. He kind of runs in some of these circles up in here. Ever heard of him? He's a, I think he was doing advertising. Savage, Savage and Brown maybe back in the day. Great man. He, he started a uh, youth or a boys group for third grade through sixth graders. And then he went on to teach Sunday school. And I stayed with him from third grade all the way up till tenth grade. In our tenth grade year, he decided he was going to take us to Colorado for a fun Colorado trip. Uh, Mr. Savage... Uh, who earned his name well, was a, he loved to have fun, and if there was a way to, to skin your knee, break your leg, or get in trouble, you know, Mr. Savage was the first one in line for all this. So he takes us to Colorado, we, um, we, we, go, we ride the slides at, at uh, Breckenridge, and we're doing all this mountain climbing, and hiking, and water rafting, all this kind of stuff. Well, on the way back, we stay at this hotel in Pueblo, and it had a golf course. And they were in the habit of leaving their golf, course, their golf carts outside at night with the keys in them. And for a group of 10th graders, 10th grade guys, we had few boundaries. And so a group of us discovered this golf cart thing and decided it would be fun to go out at about 10 p.m. and go four-wheeling on the greens and the fairways on these golf carts. So we get out there, we're going. I will admit, I, I got in a cart and we were going, and I could, I could see that this was not going to end well. So I got off, walked back up to the hotel. I was the only one. Everyone else was out there. And right as I walked into the hotel, Mr. Savage is sitting there looking at me going, where is everybody? I'm like, uh, what, what do you mean by everybody? You know, uh, where is everyone? No one's in their rooms. I know they're out doing something. Where are they? And I lied to him. And I said, I have no idea, Mr. Savage. Then I went back to my room. Well, it didn't take long for the police to arrive, and they arrested most of our group, who spent the night in the Pueblo jail, who had to be bailed out on promise of repaying $10,000 worth of damage to the golf course. And we drove home, and I was so glad that I was not out there with them, or my parents would have killed me. So we get back, and, and Mr. Savage calls me to come over to his, to his house, and so I drive over there. And I pull up, and he's waiting for me out in the driveway, which I thought was odd. And he walked up to me, and he said, David, how long have I known you? I said, well, Mr. Savage, since third grade, just, I don't know, it's a long time, five, six, seven years. Been in, every week I've been in your classes. He said, then why would you have lied to me? I could have gotten out there and stopped those kids from doing any damage. And I trusted you to tell me where they were. He said, of all the guys on the trip that I'm disappointed in, I'm disappointed the most in you. And he turned around and walked off. And I was sitting there with my mouth hanging open. Like, didn't know what to say. 
I learned a lesson about what it means to be honest, to have integrity, to tell the truth. To a degree, I became a man right there uh, because uh, Mr. Savage challenged me and confronted me. It wasn't fun, but he did it because he loved me. Our inheritance in the saints and the people of God is that they support us when we're down, but they also challenge us when we need to be challenged, and they're honest with us when we need honesty more than anything. And that is what you have been given in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this, and I'll close with this. If you've been blessed by this inheritance, where are you in that inheritance? Does that make sense to ask that? Where are you? Are you the one that receives good things only? Or are you giving back? Because the only way the church continues is that people continually giving, or people continue to give back this inheritance to the next generation. Uh, I'm able to preach at a lot of churches because I'm not in a church right now. I don't have a call. So my friends call me up like this and go to preach. And I can tell you, I look around the Presbyterian church in this presbytery, and we're going out of business very quickly. There are very few people, very few people under the age of 60 in any of our churches. Westminster, Divine, and First Edmund are the exception. The rule is, in 20 years, there won't be any Presbyterian churches because there's no, there's no young people in them. And I want to ask our Presbyterian folks, where's the inheritance? You've been given such a great thing in your churches. Why aren't you passing this on? So I want to ask you, where do you play your part in that inheritance? Are you giving back? Are you taking only? This week, I'm going to challenge you. I want you to ask the Spirit. Am I a taker or am I a giver? Ask him, how can I give more or how can I give the way I need to be passing on this inheritance to other people? Whether it's get involved with Mac and the youth group or continue your involvement here at this church or uh, maybe get involved in, in, in Young Life because I know they always need leaders or Campus Crusade or anything like that. Where can you give back? Amen? Let me say it again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray.